Yar, shiver me timbers, mateys. It's an episode of That Was Genius. You're not spending long getting into the pirate accent straight away. No, well, it's been a while, hasn't it, since we had a chance to do any proper good accents, and I feel... Arr, it be true. Because what be our theme this week, Tom? Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, boy? I couldn't understand you through your terrible accent. What's our theme this week, Tom? It's ships, isn't it? Yes. It's ships. And by your accent, I'm guessing you're not doing spaceships. What makes you think that, Tom? <laughs> I be... I be space pirate cyberbeard. <laughs> Cyber... Cyberbeard. Yeah. Beam me up there, Scotty. What I'm actually doing is a really bad Elon Musk impression. That's... <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Poor old Elon. Bit balmy, isn't he? Yes, I always he thought he was a nice guy until he started... Calling blokes paedophiles for trying to save children. Anyway, welcome to That Was Genius. <laughs> Should probably tell everyone what we do for all of our new listeners. Hello and welcome. We are... A... Hello and welcome. Hello and welcome. We are a little history podcast in which two friends... We are a little history friends... podcast in which two friends... Tom, who has a Tom. bit of a time difference. <laughs> 12 hours, in fact. 12 hours, in fact. <laughs> is in New Zealand. Is in New Zealand. And Sam is in the UK. The great thing is we record on <laughs> so two separate mic channels. This is, uh, this is great tech chat. So I can just edit Tom out. <laughs> so yes, I'm in the UK. Tom's in New Zealand. We're two friends from university who discuss history topics on a theme each week. We decide the topic the week in advance, but everything else is a complete surprise, which means there's lots of childish humour, lots of terrible accents. You've already, <laughs> as you've already witnessed. If it wasn't for the fact that I'm in New Zealand, I would have pulled your trousers down by now as well, Sam, and tied your shoelaces together. That's all right. I'm not wearing any shoes, and I've just pulled my trousers down myself. <laughs> Huzzah! Woof! <laughs> so, yes, lots of bad accents, lots of bad jokes, and if you hang around long enough, roughly to about the 20-minute mark, there might be some history. But uh, no promises. Don't hold yourselves out. Uh, don't hold yourselves <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> don't hold out too much hope, don't. or indeed your breath. <laughs> or hold yourselves. Out. <laughs> that, yeah, that one listener who's solving this bollocks now goes, oh, put it away. Put those oh, down. Put it away. <laughs> right. So, as is traditional in these things, we should probably flip something to decide who goes first, shouldn't we, Tom? Mm, let's flip something. Let's flip something. I've got something good. I've got a, I've got a football Do you? here. You've got a football. Oh, wonderful. How nautical. Yes. No, you can't flip a football, can you? You, you, what have you got? Actually, yeah, do you know what? I didn't even consider that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually got a football. I thought it was a joke. Uh, it would have been a great joke if uh, if I'd actually been listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> just Rather than just deriding you for your stupidity and not sticking to the theme. But really, I was the fool. Have you got something to ship? I don't think... I've, I'm looking around. I've not got I've got anything. my little 3D printed boat again, which will be the third <laughs> time that we've flipped this. Fuck that. You'd never guess what I've just spotted. What have you spotted? Starbug. From Red Dwarf. Oh, well, that's a ship of sorts. Oh, there it is. It's a miniature Starbug from Red Dwarf. It's got one of its little Fantastic. legs broken. Right, do you want... Well, if you're going about to throw it up in the air, it might be more than one leg broken. No, I'm not throwing it. I'm definitely not throwing old Starbug. Also, deeply impressed that we managed to get a 90s TV reference in within literally five minutes so of the podcast quickly. starting. <laughs> as, it, as again is tradition. That was a fairly well-known series was. internationally, though, wasn't it? So I think we're, we're safe with Starbug okay. and, and Red Dwarf. Right, would you, uh, what side do you want? Do you want it top side up or upside down? Uh, I, I'll take the Smeggy side, the underside. <laughs> Smeg! Smeg! Oh, hold on. Heed! 
Mr. Rumisher. Oh, it's gone the right way round. Has it? Who who wins? I think you were Smeggy, so I think you win that. Oh, well, wonderful. You can have it. I've won the last five in a trot. I'm going to let you go first, Tom. I okay. get the feeling you're itching to go. I am itching. Look at this, by the way. New listeners, this is very impressive. We're on to the history within, I think, probably five minutes of the podcast starting. 16 minutes into the recording, but five minutes into what you'll hear of the podcast. Get out of here. Working hard. Ah. We're becoming more professional. It's 30... How many episodes has it been? Is this the 35th episode? Is this the 35th episode? Bloody hell. It could well be the 35th episode. Bloody hell. That's 35 weeks of our lives wasted. (laughs) 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 Fuck. I'm not sure I can do this. It's only 34 episodes. Oh, phew. Excellent. We haven't reached that 35... No, we haven't hit the the midlife crisis yet of podcasting. (laughs) No. (laughs) Right, so I went down a different route this week, and I'm quite excited about this. This has been one of the easiest weeks for me to prepare. (laughs) I've not talked about ships. (laughs) I've done land ships. (laughs) Lorries, the ships of the road. (laughs) I suppose I could. No, but I didn't. And I've gone down a very different route, as opposed to just bending the the topic, which is what I usually do, (laughs) and choosing something that I want to research. I've gone down a different route that's going to be just, it's going to provide the listeners with just a different experience this week. I've been researching... (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I've been researching phrases, common phrases in the English language that have their origins in seafaring. Phrases with a nautical origin. Excellent. And blow me down, Sam, there are a lot of them. I bet there bloody are. Yeah, there are a lot. And I, I, so just, there are so many, I've had to narrow it down. So what I've avoided is obviously nautical phrases. And there are a lot of those, like shot across the bows, batten down the hatches, plain sailing. So Roger I've, the cabin boy. Roger. <laughs> Any port in a storm. Any holes a goal. What? No, no something no, else. Not, there's nothing nautical about that. Um, so, so you've limited it to just 50 to 100 key phrases. Uh, yeah, I've, I've kept it to 4,000. I've <laughs> narrowed it down. Good. I've narrowed it down. I have kept a few that are a bit more obvious but have an interesting slash surprising etymology. So... As mentioned, there are lots of phrases in the English language, and that's probably, I think I can fairly accurately hypothesise that that's because of the importance of seafaring for the British Empire. Yes, and our lovely habit of press-ganging innocent people. (laughs) Absolutely. Interestingly, there is a theory that uh, bottoms-up originates with press-ganging people. So... Now, I didn't research this one in too much detail, and I think it's I think I cut it out because it was a little bit questionable. But the theory is that when the Navy were trying to press gang people into joining the Navy, they would go into local bars and they would hide a coin in someone's drink. And that person would down the drink, bottoms up, and would find a coin. And supposedly they would then accepted payment. And so they'd then be dragged into the ship and said, you've accepted payment from the Royal Navy. You're now a sailor. And so bottoms up is the idea of uh, having a good look in your glass before you swig it back, I think. Interesting. There you go. We should probably... Is it worth explaining what press-ganging is? Yes, I think it's yes. fairly well known. Yeah, go on. You, I'll let you go. So press-ganging was a, was a habit of the British and probably other navies, but I think the British are the, are the best known for it, partly because they really struggled to recruit people to spend 20 years of their lives at sea. Yeah. <laughs> in the uh, kind of Napoleonic era, but before that a bit as well. I think it, it died out after the Napoleonic era where the Navy would send officers into pubs on land 
get people incredibly drunk in the pub and then basically either knock them out or trick them into joining the Navy. So you go out for a drink. Someone would come in and either buy you a load of drinks or knock you over the back of the head. Mm. And you'd wake up on a ship having signed a contract, inverted commas, slash someone to put a quill in your hand and just drawn a line on a sheet of paper. Basically <laughs> signing you up for 20 years in the Royal Navy. And you know the weirdest thing of all? They were dressed like the village people when they did it. <laughs> in the Navy. <laughs> you can sail seven seas in the Navy. So sort of... See, ordinarily, when a policeman walks into a bar, that's a pretty good way of emptying the bar. But... Yeah, yeah, but when he's followed by a cowboy, an Indian, <laughs> a sailor, or the other ones. I didn't realise it was Pride <laughs> this week. <laughs> <laughs> In a line, like one of those... Have you seen one of those stage acts where there's one guy and he's got two mannequins <laughs> yeah. in front of him, two mannequins behind, all attached by the arms and the legs? And they they famously <laughs> do the YMCA. Anyway, imagine one of those walking into a, a pub in 1750. <laughs> Young man. <laughs> a leather-clad policeman walk, <laughs> walks into a 1750s bar. Yeah, that sounds like a Tommy Cooper. That's one liner, doesn't it? Anyway, isn't that one of those interesting (laughs) pop facts that of the village people, I think there were five, weren't there? Only one of them was gay. Yeah, I can't remember which one, but yes. Anyway, where were we? Press gang. Yes, you've just explained press gang very nicely. With these phrases that have a a nautical origin it can be quite difficult to establish the credibility of these claims these etymologies and i even in my research came across a fictional organization called canoe which stands for the committee (laughs) to ascribe a nautical origin to everything so i think it's it's fairly well known that is i think probably the most british thing i've ever heard (laughs) but bizarrely canoe doesn't seem to exist that in itself seems to have been made up so it's very strange i couldn't quite work out what was going on there uh, but it's a very dad thing to do, isn't it? To sit around yes. with a beer and to go, oh, you'll never guess where that phrase comes from. So what I've tried to do, I found some very, very good websites, in fact. I've, att- I've, I've attempted to maintain as much credibility as possible with, this, my, with my research, which is... A, <laughs> unusual I for know, this podcast. very unusual. <laughs> Bearing in mind last week, my, my topic was completely debunked theory about Roman <laughs> legions getting all the way to China. Anyway... Bullshit theories from the 1940s. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And one of my best sources for this information, actually, was the Merriam-Webster Dictionary website. So I'd say a fairly reliable source there. And there were a number of other very good sources as well, which were good. So I found some good, solid sources. And, um, yeah, let's get stuck into it, Sam. So some phrases have numerous credible explanations for their origin. For example, toe the line. Interestingly, toe the line with toe spelt as the digits on your feet as opposed to pulling. One of the theories is in the House of Commons in the UK, there are red lines which are two swords apart to separate the MPs either side of the House of Commons. And that was supposedly, you know... It's to stop duels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not allowed to overstep the red line because you're in sword strike distance. Yep. So um, theoretically, toe the line was to have your toe up against the line and no further, supposedly. However... This is a nice example. There's no evidence that the red lines actually existed prior to the House of Commons being rebuilt after the Blitz. And obviously, since since the 1940s, I don't think any MPs have turned up with swords. Well, when they they open and close Parliament, the Queen's official folk, who are all dressed silly-like, they turn up with swords. Munchkins, I think they're called. Yes, they are, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oompa Loompas. (laughs) 
Oompa loompa dooberty doo. I'm proroguing a parliament for you. <laughs> a mini Boris Johnson, like a mini me <laughs> from Boston Powers. Precisely. <laughs> How much are we going to pay back to the European Union? Fifty-two billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, there's also a second theory that that <laughs> just that... a tiny little Boris Johnson going and biting Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> on his ankles. <laughs> no, because there'd be a tiny little Jeremy Corbyn as well. <laughs> <laughs> With a beret on. <laughs> and a Spanish rifle. <laughs> yeah, dressed as like a World War II Russian soldier. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Anyhow. Well, Jeremy Corbyn's not actually too much, a soldier. Too much British politics. <laughs> too much. Let's try and not keep this too topical. <laughs> anyway, there's another theory, which is the the phrase toe the line comes from prize fighting similar to come up to scratch where you put your feet against the line to start the fight and also this is where the naval link comes in with naval discipline crew were apparently ordered to stand with their toes to a line either as a punishment or part of routines and drills on board ship so various different credible explanations for the origin of the phrase toe the line now there are other phrases that I came across that could well have been adopted into nautical parlance so they could have been in existence prior to becoming popular on ships one of those is hand over fist for pulling a rope so there's evidence that that phrase was well known prior to its first use on on board ships between the devil and the deep blue sea is another one I mean that's not an entirely surprising one is it no no well theoretically this is the explanation that suggests it has a nautical origin the devil would refer to a seam in a boat and this is a wooden boat between the deck planks and the planks used around the sides of the ship which was notoriously difficult to seal and it would get sealed with tar and when you sealed it which would happen on quite a regular basis you would be sort of hanging over the side of the ship and there you were between the devil and the deep blue sea because that seam was called the devil So there's that. That's a possible theory, but it it, it could have been an ado- adoption of that phrase. Hunky dory is another one. Have you heard of this one? I I know the phrase hunky dory, but I don't know its nautical origins. So there's a popular theory, which is that it comes from honcho dory, which is possibly a reference to a street or some uh, various streets in Japan where American sailors would occupy themselves when they were in port, often with the ladies. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah, so hunky-dory could come from honcho-dory, but again, there is a theory that that was an adopted phrase. I see. So when you're saying everything's hunky-dory, what you actually mean is... Everything's Japanese I'm prostitutes. Knee, I'm knee-deep in Japanese <laughs> prostitutes. <laughs> hunky-dory, Japanese H- prostitutes. Hunky-dory indeed. <laughs> Couldn't be better. Good to know, Grandma. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, it gives a whole new meaning to the film title, Finding... Oh, no, that doesn't work. The Dory's... No. <laughs> there's Finding Nemo, isn't it? And there's a, sh- there's a fish in Finding Nemo called Dory. Oh, well. <laughs> Wasted. I mean, what a film, though. If Dory was actually all of this time was just in an aquarium watching hideous things happen in a Japanese brothel. <laughs> <laughs> or, the, or the aquarium was a fish... Was a fish Being brothel. used for occasional niche pornography before being thrown back into his tank. After being used to slap a fat Japanese man. Japan, not Thailand. Oh, dear. 
Anyway, let me get on to some phrases. So here's my selection of phrases that have a nautical origin that I thought were very interesting. Slush fund. Let me start with slush fund. So, slush was the grease produced when salted meats were cooked on board ship. And the grease would get collected in barrels, and when the ship arrived in port, they would sell the barrels of, of basically grease. And that money Ooh. was then put in put in a pot, basically, and used to buy luxuries for the whole crew. And there's an example of that from 1839 Slush Fund. Very good. It's a good, isn't it? I think this is going to be one of those topics where lots of people are going to go, ah, oh, ooh, ah, oh, hmm. Lots of that. Bitter end. So there's a bit of debate with this one, but the consensus amongst experts is that the following explanation is correct. So bits are posts on ships used to secure the ends mm. of ropes or lines, whatever you want to call them. And the bitter end is the end of the anchor rope that is attached to the ship. The bitter end. Now, see, I always assumed that bitter end was from either in tea or beer, the, the bitter dregs at the bottom of a... Well, that's, not, cup. that's not that's one I, I came across. I can't, I can't remember the other the other explanation for the bitter end that I encountered, but it, it wasn't to do with drinking tea or, or beer. And there's an example of this from 1627 in a book called Seaman's Grammar. No joke, Samuel. <laughs> no jokes necessary. <laughs> a bitter is but the turn of a cable <laughs> about the semi <bits. laughs> colon. Seaman's <laughs> <laughs> Grammar. Ejaculate. <laughs> um, uh, let me try again. No, I'm quoting now. A bitter is but the turn of a cable about the bits, and veer it out by little and little, and the bitter's end is that part of the cable doth stay within board. There you go. You'll like this one, Sam, I think. Grog and groggy has a nautical origin. Yeah, oh, yes. Love, it. Love a bit of grog. People know what grog is, but the origins of grog, very, very interesting. So, a grog room is a silk-based fabric that is made in such a way that the fabric is quite coarse and loose. And there was an English admiral... Coarse and loose is my name on Grinder. <laughs> uh. Hello to my lovely wife who does listen to this. That's not very nice, is it? It's <laughs> <laughs> a disgusting image. Uh. Crack on. English admiral Edward Vernon was particularly fond of Grogram, and he had a Grogram coat, and his nickname on his ship was Old Grog as a result. Now, in 1740, Admiral Vernon was frustrated at the impact that the daily ration of rum was having on his crew. So he diluted it with water, and this rum then became known as Grog. And we have evidence from 1770 in the Gentleman's Magazine, which has uh, a chapter called 80 Names for Having Drunk Too Much. Groggy. This, this is a quote. It's good to know that boys' senses of humour haven't changed in <laughs> no. hundreds of years. Gentlemen's <laughs> magazine, 80 names for having drunk too much. 80 ways to know you're leathered. Yeah. Shitface, rat ass, pissed as a newt. <laughs> now that does sound like the start of a song. <laughs> Shitface, rat ass, pissed as a newt. <laughs> I was drunk. I was hammered. I was absolutely leathered and rattled. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was an interesting jam. <laughs> How our sixth form college band never took off, I don't know, Tom. <laughs> because I wasn't in it, Sam. You needed a charismatic oh, frontman man with no rhythm or ability to skip <laughs> or ability to sing. <laughs> we did. We needed our Liam Gallagher. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're, uh, yeah, you're Robbie Williams. Gro- this is a quote. Groggy. This is a West Indian phrase. Rum and water without sugar being called grog. So that's a quote from 1770. Now, I made a joke about pistas and newt. That also possibly has an, has an nautical origin. So pistas and newt. Newts were new navy recruits, ah. and so being as pissed as a newt was being as pissed as a sort of teenager who couldn't handle his booze on ship. There you go. Now talking of being drunk, three sheets in the wind. Have you heard that phrase? Yes. I haven't. I hadn't heard this phrase to be honest, but it's supposedly quite a common phrase for for being drunk. And the earliest use of this is in 1821. Now you might think that the sheet in this phrase is a sail, but it's not. The sheets are chains or ropes that were used to tie down the lowest corner of a sail. And if you had three sails on your boat, which is quite common, with all these sheets quite loose, the boat would sail awkwardly, like a like a drunk walking. Oh, and there's an example of that this. I had I did not know that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I knew there'd be a lot of ums and ahs. I assumed it was sails. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like you would. That's the obvious way to go with that. This is the journal of Reverend Francis Asbury, eighteen fifteen. The tavern keepers were kind and polite, as southern folks should be, and as southern folks ought not to be, they were sometimes two sheets in the wind. Oh, that liquid fire. So two sheets in the wind, obviously <laughs> being you can still kind of walk, but you're not quite as bad as that person who's yeah. three sheets. Unlike us northern blokes, uh, us northern who aren't polite and are always fucking hammered. He was talking about southern folks as in southern states of the United States, incidentally. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> kind and polite folks from the southern states of the United States of America. There you go, oh, fam. I do declare I am two sheets to the wind. <laughs> As opposed to gone with the wind, which is something entirely different altogether. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> pipe down. So pipes were often used on ships to communicate commands. For example, yes. a crew would be piped to their next meal. And not not like, not with pan pipes from the Andes, not some, not some shitty <laughs> the, 90s CD. Like the Pied Piper of Hamelin just rolling through the ship going, with all of these sailors dancing behind him. <laughs> Amongst the rats, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just everyone all piles in at once. And then piping down was to dismiss a crew from the meal table. And obviously because things became a lot quieter when the crew had been dismissed. So that's pipe down. Ah. By and large, a boat that sails well towards the wind and away from the wind is good by and large. And the earliest example for this is 1669 in the Mariner's Magazine, uh, which was presumably <laughs> a magazine perused by sailors when they were waiting to have their yes. hair cut or they were yes. having a poo or <laughs> yeah. one of the crewmates was having a poo at some sort of nautical <laughs> service station and uh, well, they filled up with unleaded wind. <laughs> check that their sails are inflated properly <laughs> the mariners magazine by seamen for seamen about seamen featuring seamen <laughs> in this episode seamen and the captains who love them <laughs> dear me oh their seamen of the year calendar was something to behold <laughs> Not to be confused with Hello Sailor magazine, something entirely different. We've been inundated with submissions for our Seaman of the Year. <laughs> and we've been we've been making sure we check every single sample. It's been quite... <laughs> oh dear. Uh, let me move on to the next one. The phrase A1, which is the highest rating offered by Lloyds of London, the famous insurers. And this phrase 
in the 18th and 19th century came into sort of common parlance as a result of shipping being such a huge part of the uh, part of British culture and obviously ships were insured so the term entered common parlance I can't remember what the A stood for and what the 1 stood for I think A was a brand new ship potentially and 1 meant it was fully funded I think but I can't quite remember chock a block the phrase chock a block chock comes originally from choke yes. as in choke full so full to choking and then at the same time, chocks were wedges used to secure heavy objects on ships. And in 1769, a book called A Universal Dictionary of the Marine refers to chocks. Now, there were blocks and tackles. Let me try that again. There was a pulley system. There was a pulley system Someone's two on sheets ships to the wind. used to raise or lower the sails. And these were called block and tackles. And when the rope was fully extended in the pulley system, everything locks up. So it was chock a block. And there's a reference to this in 1832. So that's sorry, that's quite a complicated one to explain. But chock a block is, is about blocks and tackles on a ship, pulley systems that are at full stretch, chock a block. Now, close quarters, this might seem like an obvious one. You might hear close quarters and think, oh, yeah, that's fighting at close quarters. That'll be fighting on board ship. Not quite, not quite. Here's an explanation from William Falconer's 1769, A Universal Dictionary of the Marine, again, which is the one I referred to a moment ago. Close quarters, certain strong barriers of wood stretching across a merchant ship in several places. They are used as a place of retreat when a ship is boarded by her adversary and are fitted with loopholes through which to fire. So it was almost like a picket line or or higgledy-piggledy fence that was used as a shield when a ship was under attack or being boarded. Interesting. And there you have it, Sam. That was my selection of interesting nautical phrases. Now, we mentioned in a previous episode, we talked about enough room to swing a cat. That apparently... Yes. Yeah, which is quite a common one, and the the belief is it's to do with a cat and nine tails, which was a form of punishment. It was a whip with uh, nine strands. Yeah, knocked in the end, which was slammed on your back. Used as... uh, yeah, used as a form of punishment on board ship. But apparently that is another adopted phrase. Enough room to swing a cat was a well-established phrase prior to the invention of this form of punishment. So there you have it, Sam. I've really enjoyed this week. And I hope Good. I've given people lots of little interesting facts that they can pull out at the pub to impress their friends. Lots of nibbly little facts. Lots of facty little nibbles. Nim, 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 nim. <laughs> like a little rat. Nim, 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 on board a ship. <laughs> nim, nim, nim. Who's just found the big bucket of grease? No slush fun for you. Did you know, by the way? This is an interesting, an interesting aside. That I'll be the judge of that. If grease, if grease and fat and oil is poured from behind a ship, it smooths the waves in the wake of the ship. Is it? Yeah, which is quite well-established practice. It was the Romans knew about it all the way back in Roman times. So if the water was a bit choppy and you were trying to do something in, for example, a a rowing boat behind the ship, if you were uh, doing some repainting or... Surfing. The one thing you don't want (laughs) calm seas for, Tom, it's surfing. (laughs) I'm imagining the centurion on on skis. (laughs) Water skiing. So yeah, if if you pour grease out the back of the ship, it smooths the water. So if you need to do something, if you if you're I don't know repainting the the the, the rudder, that's a nautical phrase, isn't it? The steering bit. Ooh, then, rudder, um, get you, you technical yeah. bastard. Ooh. I know. Look at me go. Well, that was very interesting, Tom. Thank I you like very that. much. I liked your your dive into nautical words. <laughs> I thought you were going to say dive into seaman slang. <laughs>
<laughs> or that. <laughs> it sounds semen slang sounds like a baddie from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> semen slang. Semen slang sounds like a character from a 1940s uh, kind of war <laughs> infomercial, doesn't it? Incidentally, actually, here's a thing. Let's get some audience participation going. If you know of a fun nautical phrase or a phrase that has did, nautical I we were origin, do it to send us some semen. <laughs> Come on, I can't hear you. Delighted to come, Brilliant. I was decorating our dining room over the weekend and I had one of those rollers, you know, you've got a, a telescopic sort of pole and you're rolling yeah. the ceiling and I could not help myself. I had to bring it down and do a bit of Freddy <laughs> strutting around, <laughs> strutting around the dining room. I want to play free. Did your wife come in and go, just take one look at you and go, Tom, why on earth is there magnolia paint dripping down the side of your face? <laughs> I, <laughs> you I'm a method actor. just swallowed the mic. We got the microphone a bit too close. <laughs> That is that is not what I was going for, but <laughs> one of us went there. Enough spunk jokes. Good grief. I was going for, you were just holding the microphone really close to your mouth like Freddie used to do. <laughs> and therefore got pains on your face. You were the one who introduced semen. <laughs> oh dear lord. <clears throat> Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna move us swiftly on, <laughs> Over to not you, that Sam. swiftly. And today, Tom, I'm gonna not stretch the theme. I'm gonna talk about ships. That's what I'm here to Ooh, do. How I feel about that? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna talk about the Battle of Trindade, or the RMS Carmania versus the RMS Carmania. Hmm. Very odd. Very odd. Probably the only time in history when a ship has fought itself and won. <laughs> Did it lose at the same time? Yes, it did, yeah. <laughs> As I said that, I thought, oh, hang on, this goes two ways, doesn't it? <laughs> so I'm going to take us back to the start of World War One, Tom, the very start of World War One, and September 1914. And what was a very, very brutal, very brutal and bloody, but equally quite silly naval battle. Why was it so silly? Well, it was the first time, first of all, that two cruise liners had gone at Ooh. it against each other. And it turns out that cruise liners do not make very good warships for various reasons. No. Uh, best to have more guns and less swimming pools <laughs> yeah. when planning your battleship. <laughs> Although good chemical warfare with all the norovirus that often spreads Ooh, on yes. board. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, send Just, across Terry. <laughs> throw Terry across. <laughs> yeah. Send across 50 overweight Floridian retirees. <laughs> if that once and they'll be down, they'll be gone. <laughs> Airborne norovirus will get him. <laughs> Bounce him across off the diving board. Ping. <laughs> Have a nice day. Hi, my name's. I'm Stanley. <laughs> I'm from Massachusetts. And I had the fish. <laughs> I'm from Bondigley, Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, there it goes again. I've got some awful wind. <laughs> I don't know what could be causing this. I, I surely shouldn't have eaten the third prawn ring. <laughs> but it was a buffet. It was a case of one ring in, one ring out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> As one was devoured, another was loosened. <laughs> I'm just imagining a man with white Nike trainers, tennis socks pulled up mid-shin. Nice pair of short shorts, chino style. Short shorts, but very high. Yeah, absolutely. Tucked in, and he's got a New York Yankees cap. 
Yeah, and an old Nikon camera slung around his neck with a massive, <laughs> yeah. a massive fanny pack, as our American friends call them. <laughs> yeah. Did you oh. see recently, by the way, the American Pop-Tart advert? No. Oh. So America did this advert for Pop-Tarts. Jerry Halliwell. Eh? Oh, suits you, sir. See what I say? She's a lovely Pop-Tart. So America had this advert for Pop-Tarts. It's What it suggested was putting a Pop-Tart in your in your in your fanny pack in America to uh, <laughs> as a tasty snack to take <laughs> with you. Going. And, uh, and the slogan was, "I like my tarts where I like my money, right in my fanny." <laughs> <laughs> now, for our American audience who are wondering why Tom is laughing quite so much at that, that does not translate well in the UK. <laughs> Um, fanny is a very common piece of UK slang for vagina. <laughs> and tarts. And tarts is a UK slang for prostitutes. <laughs> oh, dear. So, I like my tarts, or I like my money. Right in my fanny. <laughs> it does not just... No. Very bad. Oh, very, brilliant. very bad. That is outstanding. <laughs> Uh, brilliant have you got that have um, you found a picture of that poster oh yeah yeah oh, yeah I'm going to have a look now that's, that's oh, awful brilliant it is awfully good <laughs> in New Zealand there's a type of ice cream cone that's sold in all the supermarkets and it's on the front of the pack of ice cream cones there's a big monster smiling going and they're called Gaylord <laughs> <laughs> it's Gaylord ice cream cones <laughs> with the monster smirking. Very strange. <laughs> Interesting. Very good. I'd like an ice cold Gaylord, please. <laughs> we should probably discuss some history, shouldn't we? Yes, go on. So, as most of our listeners will know from their school history classes, there was a big old arms race uh, before World War One, And this was especially true at sea with the various navies of the world. The British had invented this massive new battleship called the Dreadnought Type in about 1906, which had immediately made all of the other battleships of the world obsolete. So everyone had started building them, and the British had begun building more, and it had gone on and on and on. The end result of this was lots of fast, new, heavy battleships all over the world, which put the British in a bit of a conundrum because they had an awful lot of shipping routes from around the world which they needed to protect. Uh, the British Empire was the world's largest. Thank you very much, sir. Very good, British Empire. I think it was. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, rule uh, Britannia. Britannia ruled the waves. And Britannia had to rule the waves because it was spread all over the shop and was under real threat from lots of different world powers. Because all the big ships that they got now were needed to fight all of the other big ships that everyone else had, the merchant ships were suddenly very, very vulnerable if a war broke out. So they came up with a genius idea. You put guns on your merchant ships and use them to protect shipping convoys if a war broke out. Easy peasy. Great idea. Cheap. Done. It's a theory still being used by the National Rifle Association in the US. Yes. <laughs> Best way to stay safe, give everyone a gun. Absolutely. If you put guns on your guns, that'll protect your guns. Exactly. Meanwhile, the German Navy had exactly the opposite idea. They thought that if they hid guns on their merchant ships, they could sneak up on the Allies and attack them without being spotted oh. early. So that's what they did. And these ships were called auxiliary cruisers. A great idea with quite a lot of problems. For a start, 
the Germans initially began equipping all of their best ships with guns because they wanted really fast ships which could sneak up on the Allies. Unfortunately, this was the golden age of shipping, when cruise liners were competing for the Blue Ribbon, for the fastest Atlantic crossing, and the most luxurious accommodations. And the newspapers every week were filled with pictures of these great new liners. They were absolute sensations. They were celebrity ships. This meant that the sneaky German ships, which were intended to slip unnoticed up to Allied convoys, were actually some of the most recognisable ships in the world at the time (laughs) and were immediately recognised and sunk. It was essentially the equivalent of being a celebrity and trying to sneak through a group of paparazzi by disguising yourself as Elton John. It did not work very well. Like, what's that in the distance? Is that the Titanic? That looks like the Titanic. It looks like Elton. It is the Titanic. It looks John. like Elton. No, it's, it's Samuel L. Jackson. What a strange fancy dress outfit to choose. <laughs> yeah. Is this Elton John doing Samuel L. Jackson or Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> doing Elton John? Well, all relationships are a bit of give and take, Sam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's a tasty burger. <laughs> burger royale (laughs) the second problem was being very large and very fast all of these ships they absolutely munched through coal in fact both the allies and the central powers realized very very quickly that using these ships in any kind of numbers would literally run them through all of their coal supplies for the entire navy in weeks so they pretty quickly gave up on the idea and started using old slow ships instead and these auxiliary cruisers despite having some big problems had some real successes One particularly fun example, which I really like, was a ship called the Pass of Balmaha, which was an American-owned sailing ship. And in 1915, it was sailing from New York, America at the time was neutral, to Russia, when she was boarded by the British to inspect for contraband. When they found some suspicious goods that they didn't like, the British captured the ship, took down the neutral stars and stripes, hoisted the Union Jack and started sailing the ship to Scotland with a few British Marines to keep watch over the crew. At this point, a German submarine rocked up. So the Americans locked the British in a storeroom and re-hoisted the US flag, again, Mm. which was neutral. The Germans didn't buy this, and so they captured the ship themselves, including the British sailors locked in the storeroom. And once they got it back to Germany, they decided to turn it into a commerce raider, an auxiliary cruiser. And so this ship was renamed the SMS Seedler, or Sea Eagle, and became probably the only proper sailing warship in World War I. Wow. (laughs) So in this land of modern warships with huge great big guns on, there was this little German sailing ship which was pottering around the Atlantic, and it was absolutely amazing at its job. Yeah. The Germans packed it to the gunnels with guns and torpedo tubes. And from December 1916 to September 1917, this sailing ship captured and sunk 15 Allied freighters and caused a massive manhunt in the Atlantic before eventually being wrecked on a reef. Wow. Which I think was absolutely brilliant. So probably the only proper sailing warship used in World War One. Fascinating. Yeah. Another converted cruise ship, the SS Kronprinz Wilhelm, don't worry, Tom. There is plenty of German accents coming in my story. Oh, yeah. Very good. <laughs> Particularly good. camp ones, apparently. Yes, super good. <laughs> so the SS Kronprinz Wilhelm itself captured 16 Allied ships. It should be noted, by the way, that very few, if anyone, was killed in any of these sinkings and captures. 
the German tactic was to disguise these hunter ships as other allied ships in distress. So they paint them up, they yeah. repaint names on them, and and basically they would pretend to be in distress. An allied ship would sail up to save the crew. The Germans would then say, "Aha!" You have been tricked by the cunning Germans. We have such good senses of humor. Oh, Look at yeah. what he was one of you, but we're not. Nine, nine, nine. Nish, nish. <laughs> we are totally bonkers. Wibbly, blobbly, blubbly, blob. <laughs> Wibbly, wobbly. We are so mad. Look at us. We are on a little sailing ship. Ha, <laughs> ha. And what they would do is they would then very politely inform the crews of the Allied ships that they were now captured. Thank you very much. They would very politely transfer the crews and anything useful over to their own ship and then scuttle the ship that they captured. It was all really actually very civilised. Awfully polite. Like a game of cricket. Awfully polite. Indeed. I am terribly sorry, sir. You appear to have been captured. But anyway, to the main story, which is the Battle of Trindade. So that's kind of set the scene as to what these kind of ships were and what they were doing at the time. The Battle of Trindade. And the story of one far less successful raider, the German cruise ship SMS Cap Trafalgar, which was the epitome of luxury in 1914. It was commissioned just a few months before the war started. It had an open-air swimming pool on deck, a heated open-air swimming pool on deck. Wow. Gold and gilt winding spiral staircases and a great big ballroom. It even had a restaurant in a greenhouse with ocean views on deck. Ooh. I mean... Everything on a ship has ocean views, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> unless you've got the really shitty room. Yeah, unless you're in steerage down the bottom. She was the absolute height of Germanic elegance at the time. The crew wore diamond-encrusted lederhosen. and it was beautiful, Tom. Did they, beautiful. Did they really? Did you make that up? <laughs> I made that up. Okay. I made that up. They didn't. <laughs> Uh, she was also left with space for two large cannons and six fast-firing heavy machine gun cannons, the kind of the big anti-air style ones, as well as lots of machine guns for boarding parties to use. And sure enough, at the outbreak of the war, this magnificent brand new cruise liner was fitted with great big cannons and off she sailed, the most glamorous battleship in the world. Very, very risky if you get a drunken stag do on board. <laughs> oh, I know, right? And they get a hold of the guns. <laughs> <sighs> well, fortunately, Tom, the Germans aren't known for... For drinking, no, or otherwise fun. that would have been. <laughs> or have... <laughs> they are, however, known for shooting nothing... guns. No, come on now, Tom. Let's be fair. Nothing bad has ever gone down during a drinking session with Germans. No, <laughs> beer hall putsch. <laughs> what now? <laughs> Say what? <laughs> I tell you what, though, the onboard fireworks display was something to behold. <laughs> now. As I said, the Germans liked to disguise their ships as allied vessels in order to sneak up on them, and Cap Trafalgar was no different. It disguised itself as the RMS Carmania, or the Royal Mail Ship Carmania, a large but not especially luxurious or distinctive cruise ship of the Cunard Company, so British cruise ship. Unfortunately, unknown to the Germans, the RMS Carmania had itself been converted into an armed merchant cruiser, with a whopping Eight large cannons. Ah. So it was very significantly outarmed, the Cap Trafalgar. How many did the Cap Trafalgar have? The Cap Trafalgar had two and some uh, some fast-firing uh, kind of machine cannons. Bought machine cat, yeah. Obviously, its job was to basically capture ships intact and then sink them afterwards, not to actually sink ships. So it had, didn't have very many big cannons, but it had a lot of very threatening ones. So not only was the RMS Carmania an armed ship itself... It also happened to be in exactly the same area as the Cap Trafalgar was sailing around. Uh-oh. I sense a comedy showdown coming. 
It's a bit like that Spider-Man meme with Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. I haven't seen that one. It's an old meme, but a good one. And so, on the 13th of September 1914, the Cap Trafalgar, disguised as Carmania, was refuelling at a secret German military base on the tiny Trindade Island in the middle of the Atlantic, which really is a rock in the middle of nowhere. It's a couple of thousand miles off the coast of Brazil and currently has a population of 32 Brazilian sailors and literally bugger all else. But in World War I, it was being used by the German Admiralty as a secret base for refuelling ships. And what happened to appear as it was refuelling around the bay of the island? Why, Tom, it's the RMS Carmania, <laughs> which had spotted the smoke trails of the Catrafalgar and had come in for a closer look. And what follows, Tom, is a very brutal but equally stupid naval battle, which really explains why these types of ships were generally a very bad idea. <laughs> Firstly, the bay of Trindade Island was very, very small, and cruise ships are very large and require quite a lot of space to turn around in. Knowing that a naval battle was inevitable, the first thing the two ships had to do was to sail together out to sea to give themselves space to turn and have a fight. <laughs> you fucking wait, I'm going to have you. You well, fucking want some turn around. It was exactly like <laughs> organising a fight in school. <laughs> like, I'm going to give you I'll a see you club. at six o'clock behind the bike sheds. <laughs> you just fucking wait until I get up off this chair. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> you're starting on me. Should we take this outside? <laughs> I am going to hit you so fucking hard when I get the chance. Give me 12 hours or so, I'm going to fucking hit you so hard. Give me 25 minutes to turn around and pick up speed and I'm having you. A lot of little yachts nearby going, he's not worth it. He's not worth it. (laughs) Leave him, Phil. You're better than this. I say, sir, you slag. Nine, you're slag. (laughs) No, sir, you slag. Nine, do be stein slag. I say, sir, do you want to make something of it? Yeah! Right, out to sea. Eton rules. 24 hours. <laughs> yes. Six of the best. <laughs> See you at sundown. It's a very, very Napoleonic fight, essentially. they basically taken all of this technology and moved it back 100 years. Equally Napoleonic was how they actually had to fight. These were not warships. They didn't have lifts for ammunition to be carried up to the guns or radios to make sure that everyone was firing at the same thing at the same time. They didn't even really have proper gun mounts, so the guns were basically pointing sort of wherever the side of the ship was pointing. (laughs) So all of these big old cannon shells for both of these ships had to be run by hand (laughs) from the bottom of the ship up to the top. So you had all of these sailors literally sprinting through the ship, up all of these beautiful golden staircases, through the glass restaurant with their shell under their arm, (laughs) past the guitarist playing Ed Sheeran covers in the dining hall, (laughs) Past, past the tourist from Michigan shitting his guts out after the third prawn ring. <laughs> past the casino tables for the retired people. Jumping over the, the car where Leo and Kate... Yeah, jumping over the car where Leo and Kate are busy having sex. <laughs> and finally, up to the guns, which were essentially swinging wildly, shooting at anything and everything they could eventually see in front of them. <laughs> When the ships got close, just like in the good old days, the sailors had to pour onto the decks and fire rifles and machine guns at each other from point-blank range, literally running down the decks as the ships passed (laughs) to try and get some shots in on each other. It was just like Master and Commander, that film with Russell Crowe, or as it's known in Australia, Top Blake and Boss Man on the Big Flutteroo. For our Australian audience, just so you know what we're talking about. Good night, mate. Good night, mate. mate. 
G'day. Captain, top bloke, top bloke captain. Right, today we're going to go and hunt down some Frenchies. Crack open a cold wine, we're going to have a barney. And of course, because none of these cruise ships have any armour, because they're cruise ships, not battleships, every single shot that was fired was going through. In the first two hours of the fight, Carmania was hit 72 times. Wow. And started to sink really quickly and was very, very on fire. It was very on fire after two hours of fighting. And just as though it looked as though Carmania was done for, Captrafalga suddenly rolled over and sunk herself, taking the captain Julius Worth and around 50 of her probably 200-odd crew with her. Carmania at this point decided to get the hell out of Dodge. Both she and Captrafalga had been sending out radio messages of the battle like mad, and ships from both sides were heading their way. Five days later, they arrived. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and within just 14 days, they're setting record time. <laughs> Hitting the dizzying heights of eight miles an hour. <laughs> you fucking wait till we get to you. You're <laughs> fucking hide in five days' time. We'll be there. <laughs> well, that well, that kind of was part of the problem with these auxiliary cruisers is that they were very, very fast. They were designed to cross the Atlantic very quickly with with cargo and people on board, and warships were very slow. So the cruise ships were about twice as fast. And actually, the Kronprinz Wilhelm, the oh. uh, the ship that we were talking about earlier, rocked up just as the battle was finishing. And it did look as if the Kronprinz Wilhelm was about to claim its 17th Allied prize and, and finish the job and, and sink the Carmania. But instead, it turned and fled. And why did it do this, Tom? Because the standard tactic of the Kronprinz Wilhelm was to you know, make itself look like it was a little bit on fire dress up as an allied ship and then wait for you to get really close at which point it would say aha you have been captured by the mighty cunning German empire and so what did it see when it saw this British ship on fire it thought ah they want us to think they are sinking it is actually a trap (laughs) and so the Germans of the completely fine German ship got really scared of the sinking British ship and fucked off (laughs) (laughs) They turned around and fled as fast as they possibly could, which, because it takes about 35 minutes to turn around a cruise ship, was not especially fast. <laughs> Quick, boys, let's go! Quick! <laughs> it's, it's like the scene in Austin Powers where the guy gets <laughs> rolled over by the steamroller. No! <laughs> oh, brilliant. I, we should have watched Austin Powers this weekend. I had a choice between Austin Powers, a film I know is funny... Or Paul Blart Mall Cop. Or, or Tropic <laughs> Thunder, which I thought could oh, be funny. And I, I I really like Tropic Thunder. I thought it was appalling. Did you? I thought oh. it was dreadful. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. was the only thing that was good about it. Oh come on, Tom Cruise in a fat suit boogieing during the final credits. Well, I didn't actually get that far. And Tom Cruise is a massive turn-off. I, I, I enjoyed it, each to their own. So the Carmania did manage to escape, but only just. She was sinking very quickly and would definitely have gone under if she hadn't been rescued by Allied ships the next day in tow to safety. As it happened, nine of her crew died in the battle, but she survived the war, being refitted as a troop-carrying ship and seeing service in the Atlantic and Gallipoli campaign before being eventually scrapped in 1932. Very interesting. And actually, that's... Yeah, and that is pretty much what happened to most of these ships it was decided that it wasn't really very useful sticking guns on them because they weren't very effective in a fight so what they actually did was they just converted them all into troop carriers that's exactly what i was going to say that sounds like it makes much more sense get troops to where you want them quickly yes absolutely and because they're very quick 
there's less chance of them being caught and sunk. They can escape, so it's more likely the troops will survive. Much more sensible idea. The British did have a, a few other ships, and, and actually there was a couple. There were a couple in World War Two. They were called Q ships, which were sort of armoured spy ships disguised as civilian vessels. But the idea never really took off again of these auxiliary cruisers. And that's the story, Tom. That is the battle of the RMS Carmania versus the RMS Carmania, a stupid and very brutal battle of cruise ships in World War One. Fascinating. And to bring it full circle, Sam, and the phrase, to show your true colours, it has been argued that it has a nautical origin. And like you said, yes. sneaking up on people by having the wrong flag on display, and then just as you're in uh, within fighting range, you put up your true colours and you attack. Yep. Dirty, but not illegal. <laughs> Which is also my grinder nickname. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. That was your 1950s grinder name. <laughs> it was illegal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Alan Turing would like a word. Yeah. Right, well, we should probably think of a topic for next week, shouldn't we? Yes, we should. Slightly confusingly, a, a couple of weeks ago, we thought that the papacy, the papacy might be a good idea. I think we should come back to that. Yeah, I'm happy to... I can go papacy. Yeah? Yeah, let's do papacy. Because, fuck me, there's some ridiculous ones. Yeah, no paedophile references allowed, okay? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> right, well, that's... Half of my ideas gone already. <laughs> Papacy, good idea for those people who sweet for people those who don't know. Papacy, Pope, Vatican, yeah. Popey Pope, Pope, head of the Catholic Church, Popey Pope, 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 Pickle, old Mister Popey Pickle Pump. Yep, picked a pup of Pocky, <laughs> picked a peck of pauper prepubescence. What? Oh no, paedophile joke. Sorry, <laughs> pauper prepubescence. Excellent. I thought that was pretty quick. Excellent close of alliteration. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Well, I do hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please do tell your friends about us. We would really appreciate it if you could just share it amongst your friends. It makes a huge difference. And follow us on social media. Let us know if you have any nautical terminology, for example, that you think we should have uh, mentioned this week. You can find us on Twitter at that underscore was underscore genius. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at That Was Genius. So do follow us, get in touch, shoot us a message, let us know if there's anything you think we should have mentioned and we didn't. We'll see you next week for an exciting episode on the Papacy. Not Papa Smurf. <laughs> Not Papa Smurf. Bye, everyone. Bye.